Welcome again to our Jesus Ethics series. This is our third week into this series, and tonight's message is entitled Scandalous Grace. Join with me as we pray. Jesus, thank you, Lord, so much for this opportunity to come together and to study your word. I pray right now, Lord, that you would um, speak, that we would listen to you, that I would listen to you, and that our hearts and our lives would be changed and shaped by how it is you live and how it is that you taught us to live. We ask it in your name. Amen. All right. Well, I just want to make an announcement because we like to give you guys a little bit of update every time we're doing our sermons. Um, Spark is highly invested in you all learning along with us and being resourced along with us. I think there are some traditions where it's kind of like the person up front knows the special stuff and then the people out here just guess that they got that right. I'm telling you where I got it from, okay? So Ken Bailey is a phenomenal scholar. He has written several books that are really well worth your read if you're interested in it. He spends specific, um, he spent most of his life growing up in the Middle East um, as a missionary kid. He um, is fluent in many languages and studies very much the ideas and concepts of Jesus' teachings um, as they occur within the context of the Middle East, of um, first century Jewish life and how that goes forward. So he's written a book recently called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, and it's wonderful. And in that book, he speaks about the parable that we're going to be looking at. And he actually gives a wonderful translation of that parable because of his facility in the Greek um, and as well as in Arabic. And looking at how the culture looks at that. So as we go through this next chapter in Matthew chapter 20, um, this next little section, I'm going to be using his translation. So if my translation up on the screen is different from the one in your Bible or your PDA or that you've ever heard of before, that's okay. I just want to let you know where that translation is coming from as we look at some of his cultural keys to unlocking Jesus' teaching. So join with me now in Matthew chapter 20. We're going to start in verse One, for the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, 9 a.m., he saw others standing unemployed in the marketplace. And he said, and to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever's just or right, I will give you. So they went out. Going out again from about the sixth hour, noon time, and the ninth hour, 3 p.m., he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, which would have been 5 p.m., he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here unemployed all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the Lord, Kyrios in Greek is when this word shows up here, of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and pay them the wage, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those who came were hired about the 11th hour, each of them received a denarius. Now, when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the householder saying, these last worked only one hour and you've made them equal to us who've borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Mr., I am doing you no injustice. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and leave. I choose to give to this last as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last. The very words of God. Jesus starts this parable by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. 
Now we're going to go back through the parable together, just a few minutes, and I'm going to point out a few things. Then we're going to look at the cultural context and see what it is that Jesus is saying. Whenever Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of God is like, those two terms are actually equal. Um, If you've ever heard a sermon that says, well, when Jesus says kingdom of heaven, he's talking about this. But when he says kingdom of God, he's talking about this. Just try to do your best to delete that sermon out of your head and decide instead that these are the same terms. What Matthew does in the gospel of Matthew is he's very careful about using the name of God and he doesn't want to step on that name. So the word heaven is a euphemism for God. So this just simply means God's rule, God's reign, the way he expects things to go, the way it is when God is in charge is like this. Okay? So now at that point, when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like this, God's kingdom is like this, he's introducing a concept for all of us listeners to say, okay, clue in, Jesus, God's son, is going to tell me right now what God is like, how God rules, how God reigns, how God behaves, and I'm going to understand this through a picture that would be common to my own day. So he starts like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like a householder or a landowner who goes out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, early in the morning here would be 6 a.m., So at this point, we have a householder who is going out early in the morning at 6 a.m. to hire day laborers. We can kind of picture that kind of scenario, right? He agrees with those laborers, and for a denarius a day, they all agree on it together, and they go to the vineyard around 6 a.m. But then the same gentleman, the same landowner or householder, he goes out again about the third hour, 9 a.m. And then he does it and he sees others standing unemployed in the marketplace. And he says, just note that standing for a minute. You go into the vineyard too and whatever's just or right, I will give you. Now, they must have trusted this individual. He must have been known in the community because they don't haggle with him about a price. They trust that he's going to pay them what is just or right, that it's going to be okay. They don't, he doesn't tell them how much it will be. He just says it will be just. There will be justice done for your day's work, and they're going to start at 9 a.m. He goes out again at the sixth hour at noon, the heat of the day, when really most of the day laborers you would expect are gone. Like they've given up. No one's going to hire them that day. But it's the heat of the day. And then at the ninth hour at 3 p.m., he does the same. And at the 11th hour at 5 p.m., at the end of the workday, he goes out again and sees others standing. And he says to them, why do you stand here unemployed all day? Why do you stand here all day? And they said to him, no one has hired us. You too go into the vineyard. It's 5 p.m. What is there to do? The day is ending. And when evening came, I mean, it's what? It's an hour later. The Lord. And this is when it changes. It's no longer master or householder. It's those kyrios, the Lord or the master of the vineyard said to his steward, wait a minute. He has a steward? Hey, if I had a steward a guy that's in charge of my stuff, I'd be like, you go out at 6 a.m. and hire the people, and you go out at 9 a.m. and hire the people, and you go out at 12, and you go out 3, and you go out 5. This is a surprise. There's a steward there. And he says to the steward, call the laborers in and pay them the wage. The agreed-upon wage, the denarius. Pay them the agreed-upon wage, but begin with the last, and then go to the first. And now... We're like, wait, wait, what is the kingdom of God like? 
What is the kingdom of heaven like? And those who came who were hired about the 11th hour, they'd been working for about an hour, each received a denarius. And when the first came, they thought they would, of course, receive more. Now, you can imagine in this scenario right here, the 11th hour come and they get a denarius. And the people who came at three, they're like, gee, they got a denarius. They only worked one hour. So does that mean, sweet, you know, we're probably going to get a denarius and a half because I was here like a couple extra hours in them. Oh, no, say more. That's kind of fair. Oh, I, these people came at noon. I mean, they've worked sort of more in the heat of the day. Well, oh, they got a denarius too. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. And then he calls the people that come at 9 a.m. And, and they're like, they worked really the bulk of the day. Certainly they're going to get more than the people that worked the one hour. No, they get the same amount. And then the 6 a.m. people who had the agreed upon wage of the denarius come. And on receiving it, one of them grumbles at the householder and says, these last worked only one hour and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But the householder, the landowner, he replies, the Lord says, mister. He doesn't say friend. He doesn't say like, I know you. He's like, dude. <laughs> it's, it's really, it's like, mister, uh, dude, I don't know much. And I am doing you no injustice. Did you not agree with me for denarius? Take what belongs to you and leave. I choose to give to this last as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or is your eye evil because I am good? And that phrasing in Hebrew, that's a colloquialism or saying that still today in Hebrew, if you go to Israel, it said that to have a good eye means you're generous. And if you have a bad eye or an evil eye, it means that you are not generous, that you don't share what you have. So when charity workers go door to door and asking for contributions in Israel, they'll say, hey, you know, we've got this great new program, the kids, blah, blah, blah. do you want to have a good eye, have a good eye. It means give generously, have a good eye. And this euphemism pops right out. Now, if you're reading in maybe a translation, it'll say, are you mad because I'm generous? But the, the language here is great. Is your eye evil because I'm good? Are you now going to not be generous because of my goodness? And now the last will be first and the first last, which I know we've all talked about that being maybe a, what does that theologically mean and who's getting into heaven at what time and how's the, how's the line going to go and all of this kind of, I don't really think that's necessarily what Jesus is saying here. I think he's describing what just happened in the parable and see the last are first and the first are last. For what? Let's keep asking some questions. Notice Jesus doesn't sew it up nice and neat for us, does he? We don't know what happens. We don't know if the grumblers are like, oh, yeah, of course, you know, you are in charge. That kind of makes sense. Or, oh, no, I totally want to have a good eye. I mean, yeah, you've spurred me on to good works. Or if they left cursing his name. And this is the brilliance of Jesus' teaching and the brilliance of teaching with parables because he kind of builds a house for all of his listeners, a very familiar house at the time. He says, come on in, sit down, have a seat. Where do you want to be living in this house? Now, in Jesus's day, the vineyard workers would look a little bit like this. This is from, this is a photograph from Israel from the late 1800s, early 1900s. Now notice, does that look anything like the vineyards of Napa or Sonoma? No, the vines of Jesus's day and in the Middle East, they're, they're not trained up on these really nice, beautiful rows that you see, you know, up on those hillsides in Sonoma and Napa, but instead the vines grow on the ground. Harder work. Did you ever notice this a lot harder than this? So if I'd been doing this all day long 
on the ground in the scorching heat from 6 a.m. I think I might have been grumbling too. A little bit more compassion. And so as they're sitting there doing that work. Now when we think of day laborers, we have a picture for that, don't we? If you go to Home Depot, if you go to Lowe's, you can see people standing out there asking for work. Now these aren't necessarily people that are undocumented immigrants. These can simply be people who need work that day. And who are standing there saying, I'd like to feed my family. I'd like to take care of my household. Please hire me. Now, in either scenario, the scenario back from the time of Jesus' day or a scenario we can imagine today, what is it like if your only way of supporting your family is to stand outside as people did at the Damascus Gate in Jerusalem? If they stand outside, even recently... And they wait to be hired. If it's 6 a.m. and you get hired, you've got a job. You've got a job for the day. You're going to get paid. You're going to get to go home to your wife and kids and say, Daddy did a good job. He worked today and he's able to provide, put food on the table. There's dignity in my day. But as the day proceeds on and more of those trucks come up and more day laborers jump in the truck and get ready to go work at a job that they may not know if the person's going to pay them well, take care of them well, um, or, or treat them with any type of dignity. As that day goes on, what do you think your mentality is? It's, it's 9 a.m. It's 10 a.m. It's noon. You've not yet been picked. It's 3. Go home. Who's coming now? No one's coming to do a job now. No one's going to pay you for a day's work now. It's 5 p.m. Why are you still here? Go home. There is no work for you. But what's their alternative? If they go home, what do they do? They go home to their spouse and they say, I, I wasn't able to find work today. I don't have any money for food for the kids. I can't afford shoes, whatever it is, their day and their hope of that day is over. But notice in Jesus's story that at every occurrence, it says that when the householder, when the master went out to look, he found them standing. If you don't want work and you're just hanging out with your buddies on the corner for the day, are you standing? You're sitting in the shade. These workers so desperately wanted to be employed that when the master of the house, of the vineyard, went out at noon in the heat of the day, he found them standing, ready, ready to go to work. And then at three, he finds them again standing in the afternoon. I'd be like, I'm out of here. Hope is gone. But they're still standing and then standing again at 5 p.m. This beautiful parable is full of surprises all these twists and turns whereas the listeners are are leaning in they're like wait they're still there they should have given up and gone home long ago how embarrassing to continue to be standing there moment after moment to continue the the lack of of dignity the public humiliation to continue to stand there on that corner say i need work and it's noon and it's three and it's five and you've still not been picked. Wouldn't you have just gone home? What's motivating 
the landowner to do this. We don't know anything about him. Jesus doesn't say he's a really nice guy. He seems to be very experienced. He's got a very large vineyard and he's wealthy. He's so wealthy, he even has a steward. So what's the surprise here? Can he not count how many workers he needs? Why didn't he just start by hiring them all at 6 a.m.? The only conclusion that we can come to is that he cares desperately about these people. He cares about the fact that they've not yet been hired. He cares about the fact that they've not been given a job. And he's not going down there and saying, oh, you poor thing, you didn't get a job today. Here's 20 bucks, go feed your family. He's like, let me give you work. You've still not been hired. You still haven't been called. You still haven't been chosen. No one's picked you yet. I will give you work. I will give you dignity and I will pay you a fair wage. It's somehow what Jesus is saying about this master of this vineyard, who of course is a picture of God. This is the kingdom of God that he's talking about. Is that God is compelled by compassion to not stay home, to not send somebody else, but to himself go and to seek and to give dignity and to hire in and to uphold those that are needing that moment that amount of humanity. This parable is full of surprises, incredible surprises. And I love, I think this little girl in this next clip, she's going to tell us a little bit about what surprise is like. You do? Okay, go sit on the couch. Is your birthday coming? Okay. So just open that backpack. No, no, just open it. Just look what's in there. Oh my goodness. Well, what's in there? Pull the stuff out. I got a movie. How'd you know you won this, Mom? Yeah. What else? I got another movie. How'd you know I won this? I didn't. I just didn't. Mommy, how? Remember? Show me. What does it say? I don't know. What else is in there? Where do you think we should take all this stuff? Leave it here. Where do you want to go with it? Um, if you could go anywhere, where would you want to go? Today. Why don't we go? Okay, let's go. Now. Today. today. <gasps> I'm, being, <laughs> I'm being serious. We going? We're leaving today to go to Disneyland. Are you joking? No, I'm not joking. Yes, we're going. (laughs) Are you excited? (laughs) It's for your birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Happy birthday. It's my birthday today. No, in a week (laughs) we're going. I'm crying too. I'm crying too. You excited? We're going when Daddy gets home from work. When Daddy gets home from work, do a happy dance! Yeah! I love you! I love you too! Okay, bye! (laughs) 
I love this little girl because everything that comes out of the suitcase, you know, the little backpack from the beginning, she'll, she'll pull out Oreo cookies and go, oh, Oreos. I mean, like everything like this is a surprise and it's great. And it's another surprise. And isn't that interesting? But then the surprise is so good that it moves her to tears. It's the best news she's ever heard. Disneyland. Are you serious? Are you serious today? Are you serious? Well, you're not joking. Like, I mean, it's just this today's my birthday. Like we're just too excited. This is this parable Jesus is teaching. It's so good. It's so surprising that at the end of it, when we hear that Jesus' love for those in need, for those who'd been standing out all day, who were wondering if anyone would ever stop again, that, that his love for them is so great that he leaves his house at 5 p.m. in the afternoon and goes and brings them back just because he's compassionate, just because he's good, just because he loves them. It's too good. It should move us to weep, to discover. This is the end of this parable. Compassion compels our heavenly father to find us and to give us what we need. What? This is the parable. And what we determine is that grace is amazing. Grace is amazing. God's grace for us is amazing. And we are moved and we are thankful for the next chance. We're thankful that even if we felt last, that God is going to put us first. That he's paid attention to us. That he cares desperately about where we are. God cares about us and he is coming for us. And grace is amazing. Maybe though, some of us might be in the other part of this parable. And we discover that grace can also be infuriating. Maybe some of us are saying, but why are you making that person, God, equal to me? I've been working for you all day. And you paid them the same. And it doesn't always sound like good news if we don't have the heart of the Father. Grace doesn't always feel amazing. Sometimes it's infuriating. Sometimes when the rain falls on the just and the unjust, on the good and the evil, grace can feel infuriating. And this is why Jesus' parable, again, is so brilliant. Because he leaves us with the question, what do you want to live into? The good news of the grace for everyone? Or do you want to live into the fact that sometimes grace is not going to feel fair? Now, a few years ago, a group of us, um, we were leading uh, a classroom of fifth and sixth graders, um, 56ers, we called them, and we taught this parable. Now, the way that we taught this parable was a lot of fun, and I just have to tell you a little bit of my story, because my 56ers are theologians, and um, in fact, everyone is a theologian. Everyone on the face of the earth thinks something about God at some point and tries to sort that out, so you are studying who God is. Welcome, theologians. But my 56ers are incredibly brilliant, and this is why Jesus needs us to be around kids, because we aren't as smart as they are. And so what I did was, we had this great plan. So 
we had been looking all throughout the Bible to find descriptors of God, and we'd been collecting those. God is like light. God is like my shepherd. God is like a rock. God is like, and so we were doing all of this stuff. We'd been doing that for a few weeks. So this particular Sunday, we got all the kids in there, and we said, hey, you guys, you have been amazing finding all these Bible verses, but you know what you're remembering? Some people come to church. They don't know how to look up things in the Bible. Could you help me out? What we're going to do is we're going to take this list of characteristics, and we just have, like, God is love and then the verse title to it, and we're going to write down the verses in a notebook. So I need a group of volunteers to decide that all that we're going to do, you're going to do for the whole hour, is you're going to write verses from the Bible in a notebook so that when kids come here, they can open up that notebook and read about God because they wouldn't necessarily be able to find these verses because they don't know how to do that necessarily. The rest of us, we're going to play. So we're going to play this just wild, we're just going to play games the whole time, but I need like a couple volunteers, three or four volunteers to, to volunteer, just to sit in the back corner while we play. And I want you to sit in the back corner and just write Bible verses out the whole time. And, oh, by the way, we have this cart with all these toys on it. And I know you see these price levels where, you know, you have to have like save 50 tickets for this and 20 tickets for this or 10 tickets for this. But I'm letting you know, um, those of you who decide to do the Bible verse, I will pay you what's fair. Okay, great. I, I'll probably let you pick one of anything on the cart. doesn't matter the price level. Great. So we had a couple volunteers. Now, no surprise, the kids that said, I would like to write Bible verses for an hour particularly love Jesus. So they were back in that corner, um, and they were working with Miss Sarah Grace. And Miss Sarah Grace, and they're writing things, and the rest of us are playing. We're having a great time. And then I would stop and go, you know what, hold on. Just me to say, How are you guys doing? And she would go, oh, you know, it's not great. We've only gotten like four or five verses written. I'm like, oh, geez. Um, hey, anybody else want to volunteer? And maybe one or two, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go. Okay, you go. And, and they would go and work a little bit more and we play a little bit more and then I would stop the game and say anybody else can go and how many have you written and well I've written 10 and I've written you know four oh, okay that's great and then and we did this exactly as the parable is laid out we didn't read the bible verse to them beforehand we just did all of this and then at the end we said you know what um we only have about five minutes left but is there anyone five minutes left of class of the game time anyone who wants to still go over and, and do a bible verse just now, oh yeah okay so so one kid one kid went so I'll, I'll do a bible verse so we said okay that's great you know i feel bad i am the pastor we should probably do something today that's a little bit holy all right kids come back together it was fun playing games today you guys come on over how many last kid in how many did you write i only had a chance to write one okay cool um well let me just um hold on you guys we're gonna do a bible lesson in just a minute i just need to pay them because I, I promised I'd just pay them what was fair. Um, so you, you wrote one. Okay, great. Come on. You know what? Let me just um, pick anything you want on the cart. Okay. Picks like, you know, the biggest prize and goes and sits down. Um, next, how many did you write? Okay, you, you got like three done. Great. Uh, oh, you only, you only just want to, okay, what? Um, yeah, you pick anything you want. And we did this until the very last kids came forward. How many? I wrote 15. That's amazing. Okay, come in. You can pick one. One of anything on the cart. And they sat back down. So, okay, let's read a story. Open up the Bible and we start to read. Kids are great because right about verse 4, they're like, hey, hey, wait, wait. Wait, 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 wait. Pastor, Pastor Danielle, Pastor. You, I think that, this is just the thing that you just did with the thing in the. Oh, yeah, yeah, let's keep reading. So we read this story. And as we're starting to process this, I said, who felt like it was unfair what I did? And we're starting to talk this through. And there was like one or two kids that said, yeah, it's unfair. But then one kid said, yeah, but you're the pastor. You're in charge. You get to do what you want. I was like, yeah. 
And they're getting it, right? They're getting it. They, I said, do you think it's unfair? You know, but he's God. And you see, kids are very clear on authority structure because there's a whole bunch of people in charge of them all of the time. So they're not like us adults that are constantly trying to say, you can't, I can, you know, fighting for what we get to do. I mean, I'm not saying that they all submit to that with equality, but, you know, they are constantly saying, you can't drive yet. No, you can't walk to school on your own. I mean, there's things that they just are regularly being told they're not ready to do yet. So they were kind of like, yeah, but you're in charge, so you get to do what you want to do. And they said, God's God. This is what they're telling me. God's God. He gets to do what he wants to do. I'm like, okay. They don't have a problem with it. They're not grumbling. Felt like maybe it's a little unfair, but they're not grumbling. And then this one girl raises her hand and says, but Pastor Danielle, she was one of the first ones. Okay, it's stacked because it's Bible. I mean, like these are the, the good kids that want to go and do the Bible. She said, there's a blessing in the work. She said, they only got to write one Bible verse, but I got to write 10. And I got to learn. I was like, <laughs> Yes. Don't you understand that if you were the first called, you are the most blessed because there's a blessing in the work. The last that were called only got to work an hour. There is a blessing in the work. There is a blessing in working in his kingdom. There is a blessing in being called to participate in what the father is doing. There is a blessing in bringing forth the harvest from the vineyard. There is a blessing in the work. The reward is not just about the wage at the end of the day. It is about the call, the dignity, the work. So what will we choose? At the end of the day, do we want to have given more or have given less? At the end of the day, do we want to be richer or do we want to be more compassionate? You see, the landowner chose to be poorer at the end of the day in order to be more compassionate. It doesn't say he's got an unlimited supply of denariuses. He is choosing to be less rich in order to be more compassionate. At the end of the day, will we choose to lift others up rather than keep them down? Will we look at the person that was likely hired at the end of the day because they're not as good a worker? That from the outset, we see them and and they're not going to get picked first in the morning, let alone noon, let alone three, because they don't look like they can do a day's work. Are we going to be the people that say, I want to lift you up. I do not want to keep you down. I would rather be poorer and be able to extend more compassion to you than be richer and by myself. I would rather have a good eye than an evil one. Jesus' ethics flowing through this parable is that the master's compassionate response calls us all to emulate that type of compassion and grace. We're supposed to be building and bringing more of the kingdom of God here on earth. The master respects the dignity of all the workers and he offers a hand up rather than a hand out. The master seeks to educate everyone, not just those receiving the grace, but also those scandalized by it. All are invited to learn. All are invited to respond to this kingdom. Jesus shows us that justice is defined as much more than simply equal application of the law. But justice includes respect for the dignity of those in need and a deep concern for their welfare. 
that's what justice is. It's not just what's equal. It's about their welfare. Jesus teaches us that the kingdom is where costly grace is given to those who least afford it, who can least afford it, but who desperately need it. Costly grace in Jesus' kingdom and his rule and reign, costly grace is given to those who can least afford it, but who most desperately need it. And no one is underpaid in this parable. The cry is not from the justly paid. The cry is from the justly paid who cannot tolerate the grace. They're not underpaid. They've worked the agreed upon wage. No one has been hurt. No one has been skimped on. Their cry of injustice is that they're saying you have given too much grace. And Jesus is telling us that this is what God's rule and reign is like. That we are going to be constantly surprised and amazed at how grace-filled he is. That we're not going to show up at the border of this country with pitchforks in the face of little children fleeing violence. Because the 11th hour worker is given a full day's wage. Do we seek to control the master's grace or do we rejoice freely in his scandalous extravagance? Do you hear these stories and think, I want to celebrate how good God is? Or do we get a little bit angry? Is grace amazing or is it infuriating? The master expends extraordinary time and resources to go to the needy, offering them rescue. He doesn't have to do it. He could send somebody else. He doesn't have to do it at all. He himself goes. And in this parable, incarnation, the dwelling of God with his people and atonement meet. Rescue and God come together. The master had a steward, but instead he chooses to go himself time after time in the heat of the day. This parable tells us about who God is, about how he interacts with his people, that he's not deciding to hold off somewhere in some castle far away, that he is saying, I'm going to you and I'm not going to send somebody else. I myself am coming. I myself will seek and save the lost. So Jesus' ethic here is that this is what the kingdom is like. This is what his kingdom is like. This is what his rule and reign are like. Shall we ever say or live like it's anything else? Anything less than this? How dare we ever live in this world, ever speak about Jesus as though his rule, his reign is anything less than this scandalous grace? How dare we ever draw a line and say you're more Jesus-y than you are? How dare we ever draw a line and say, you're a little bit more in and you're a little bit more out. This parable stands and says, my grace is scandalous. And you can choose to be amazed at it. And I'm going to just display my compassion for those in need and those in want. And I'm going to bring them close. Wherever you 
are at, whoever you are in this parable. Perhaps if you close your eyes and you picture Jesus teaching, where do you see yourself? Are you along with the worker saying, yeah, that's right. Can you believe he did that? Are you the one who's being picked up in the middle of the day? Or are you the one, am I the one that's waiting at 5 p.m., begging God, trying to figure out how I'm going to face my spouse to tell them that I've not been able to bring home food? And then the father swoops in and gives that gift. Or are we just in the crowd listening? Wherever you're at in this story, I'm going to invite us for a few moments just to close your eyes and picture, and we're going to listen to a worship song. If the lyrics will be on, if you want to sing along or just read along, and just take a moment to thank God for this type of kingdom and this type of call that brings all of us wearied, burdened, in need, desperate, angry, frustrated, disillusioned. Those of us that want rules. Those of us that want those people to be out. Come. Jesus is calling. Come find your mercy. Oh, sinner, come near. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. So lay down your burdens.
comes to us where we live, loves us as we are, come make your home in his kingdom. And if his grace is scandalous to you and to me, amen. We might just be approaching a tiny little bit of how good this surprise is. Father, thank you, Lord, for bringing um, hope to the hopeless. Thank you, Lord, for coming to us, for dwelling amongst us. Thank you, Jesus, for being here, for drawing us near, and for being so deeply amazing in your grace. Forgive us, Lord, for being infuriated sometimes at your great generosity, and instead shape and shift and turn our hearts to become just a little bit more like yours today. We ask it in your holy name. Amen.